0: I almost, I have to use a screwdriver to get out most mornings, and the other really? day I thought I was still going to be stuck in. It mm-hmm. took me like five minutes, yeah. It's that bad? Yep, it's awful.
1: See, that's why you just got to swing your hips.
0: Ah, uh, see, I haven't, I haven't gotten hips into it yet. <laughs> so I I have to, have to
2: pull a, it open? I have a bony hip. <laughs> 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 I'm just going to you,
1: you're like, just at the door, like, <laughs> come on, uh, come on. <laughs> hey, fall on, the hips, in in the hips, the <laughs> in the hips. Well, I'm, obviously I was talking about leaving. I mean coming in.
2: <laughs> well, what do you want to praise or? Could you father? Sure. In the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been from its origins in space and time, and put internally at your disposal. So, Matthew, what was your summer situation after I talked to you the last time? Pretty much the same?
1: Yeah. So, when I, well, it did improve. So, when I talked to you, I was down in Fort Jackson mm-hmm. doing my army training, and I was probably six weeks in. And it was a full 13 week program. After I spoke to you, we had an influx of three priests, which there were very few priests, um, who were able to celebrate daily Mass for me after that. Nice. And so we got to go to daily Mass, and we would have a pretty consistent holy hour and things like that. Um, Never exposition or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but at least prayer in front of the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. which was nice. Um, And so then finished up the full 13 weeks and did really well and, you know, really enjoyed it. Was with a lot of Protestants, uh, one rabbi, one imam, uh, so it was, a, it was a pretty unique summer. Huh. I mean, I, yeah, I've never experienced anything like that before. But enjoyed being with the army. Yeah. So it did improve after we talked. Yeah. Were you with a lot of like soldiers too, wow. not just chaplains? No, it was all it was all chaplains. Wow. Now we did have, so in the first six weeks, a lot of these fellows are coming in as Pastors who have no military experience, so they come in and they do like the first six weeks, four to six, are a boot camp style. So they have you learn all the basic combat soldier skills, which is like low crawling, high crawling, um, ruck marching, rappelling, uh, you know, movement to contact. also so all these different battle drills and things like that. You probably all had all that stuff down though. And, yeah. So I had already done a lot of that stuff. Did you skip it or did you have to do it too? No. Everyone trained to do the exact same, mm-hmm. but we had real soldiers come in. I say real soldiers. Chaplains are real soldiers, mm-hmm. but um, infantrymen who came in who were like hardened infantry veterans, mm-hmm. and it was neat because all the chaplains were have this very naive thought of like, we get out to the field and all the soldiers are gonna say, the chaplain's here, like yeah. come running up and preach to me yeah. and, like <laughs> give me give me the sacraments and things. In reality, so this is, this is the question I posed to the, to the soldier soldier's soldiers. said, hey, what do you all really think about the chaplains? Like, what do you, when you would see them, what would you actually do? And he was a real big guy. Mm-hmm. And he goes, all right, raise your hand if you're a Catholic priest in here. And I, obviously I'm not ordained, but mm-hmm. he meant he's going to be a priest. Mm-hmm. So we had the, the Catholic priest raise their hands, and me and the other seminarian, we raised our hand. he goes, y'all are the only people I talk to. This is a room of 80 people. Are you serious? Because y'all are the only people I talk to. I grew up Catholic and I wouldn't talk to anyone else besides a Catholic priest. And I was like, Oh my (laughs) gosh. Whoa! (laughs) That makes
2: it awkward in the rest of the class. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it was, I mean, there's a lot of people who are like that. And so the chaplain, everyone Mm kind of understands that in the the military. But he said, um, You know, to be honest, soldiers think that the chaplains. A fat, lazy guy who sits in his office and doesn't do anything. And you come to him for counseling and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool to hear that. And then to hear, like, the same things that we hear in in seminary, how our humanity is a bridge. They talk about that all the time. Your physical training, your ability to speak army yeah that's all a bridge for the soldier to come to you as a chaplain so you go out and meet them just like we learn here in the seminary just like you do as a priest mm-hmm. our humanity is a bridge oh, yeah. and so you know it, that's truth and all mm-hmm. these Protestants never heard it before and just like soaking it up loving it i mean yeah. it was i mean it was really good stuff to be able to hear and to yeah. to kind of work through was that stuff that
2: they were saying to you or that you were kind of like bringing up in discussion like human formation Yeah, they never
1: used the word human formation. Okay. No, but they would say things like the better at doing, you know, op orders, operation orders, or the better at you are at developing religious support plans, which are Mm -hmm. all, this is all army lingo, Mm -hmm. the more respect you're going to get from your soldiers. Yeah. So this is, I guess this is me kind of codifying it into seminary talk. Right. But that's what they were saying. That's so true, man. There are
2: other, like, lingos different, especially in oh, absolutely. areas of life or professions that have a lot of training involved, you just get to the point where you, you use the word formation at a seminary, and it means something like hard to define almost. Yeah. But we all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Whereas in army, I don't know, formation probably means like getting out in a field and holding guns in a certain
1: pattern. That's you know? exactly what it means. Um, yeah.
2: So that wouldn't really make sense to them.
1: Yeah. But they would say to like. The last six weeks of our training, well, I the entire training was learning how to speak Army. So acronyms out the chain, tons yeah. of acronyms. Um, you know, just being able to. We had classes strictly on Army. This is Operation Snap Peas. Yeah. Strategic
2: <clears throat> nuclear arm, penetrating <laughs> missile. Damn it! <laughs> Lost it. Lost it. You almost had it though. <laughs> yeah
1: uh but we would cover army doctrine and we would go through ADP 6-22 AR 670-1 FM you know 0-5 whatever mm-hmm. and so there's all these i mean it's the same you look at can wall or yeah. these different you know even just a law degree you're going through the structured developed uh operation that it's, it's planned out what you do and what you say, mm-hmm. and you need to get into that world. I mean, it's yeah. another, it's a subculture. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's a culture and a culture and a culture, and um, it, it was really interesting to be able to learn all that stuff, and, and definitely to re-engage it. I loved it. Loved mm-hmm. it. Loved it. Awesome. Yeah. Did you
0: run in, going back to that guy that talked that said he would only talk to a Catholic priest, did you ever run into a soldier that grew up Protestant and would specifically talk to anyone but a priest?
1: Um, there was a lot of the chaplains <coughs> I was with. There was not not a lot of them were like that, but mm-hmm. some of them definitely had a negative Catholic bias. Yep. But you know, it, a lot of them have grown up with the Catholic monsters in the closet, mm-hmm. and so it was beautiful to be able to present the Catholic, present Catholicism in a way that dismantled a lot of those monsters. Mm-hmm. So look, this is what we really believe. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't worship the pope. We don't worship Mary. Mm-hmm. There's a guy who I got into it with who swore on his life that we worship the pope and that celibacy was we worship the pope. That we worship the pope. <laughs> right. And so I'm like, "Dude, I have no clue what you're talking about. Like are you going to are you going to tell me what we believe as Catholics?" Yeah. And he said, "Oh, you worship the pope because you believe celibacy is a doctrine." I said, we look, worship
2: the Pope because
1: we believe what so. This is his train of thought. And he, told me, he told me he I, I can see Rome. those are
2: two distinct, maybe, complaints about Catholicism that are somewhat misinformed. Right. But together they make absolutely <laughs> no sense. Yeah. How, did, how did he continue it? How did he continue the thought?
1: So this is what he would say. He goes, look, you worship the Pope because he's the one who gives you authority. Example being doctrine of celibacy. Right. So he has the authority over what we take them being... Mm -hmm. They believe that Scripture is the only thing that we have that's passed on. Mm -hmm. So the way that you interpret that Scripture, this authority, the Pope, has authority over Scripture and says what he wants about it. Mm -hmm. Ergo, we worship him and what he says and what he does. So he is higher than the Word of God in his mind. And so that's kind of the doctrine of the discipline of celibacy. Which he swore to me was a doctrine. I said, "Dude, we have married priests. How can it be a doctrine?" Yeah. Like my pastor in Atlanta is a married priest. He's an Anglican convert. He goes, "Oh, well, there's always exceptions to the doctrine." We're like, well, none catholicism <laughs> <laughs> We don't about? have that little caveat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but the interesting thing is, like,
2: celibacy doesn't come from the pope. Like, that's what everybody. Every new pope, everybody's like, "Oh, maybe he'll change celibacy." You think, "Oh, this is a liberal enough pope that will let we, let us have a married priests." Like, what do they think, that celibacy is a discipline for the last thousand years? Because every pope in the last thousand years happens to think that celibacy is really great. And right. he
0: wants to, like, inflict this pain on all right. of his priests in the world. Yeah, it's a
2: tradition that the church has held dear for a long, long time. And certainly not, we're not saying that it's in the scriptures as, like, the only way to be a presbyter. But St. Paul certainly talks about it explicitly, like, if you can, remain the way I have. Yeah. Um, she's talking about remaining unmarried and because it makes them more disposable for the mission and uh, all the things that we say today. Um... Well, they talked about it at IPF so
0: well of the, you discern priesthood and you discern a call to celibacy both as, uh-huh. as gift. And so he read, uh, Father Cantula Mesa, did uh, they have yeah. you? Virginity. Yeah. Awesome. Uh-huh. Absolutely awesome. Okay. But, but he talks about it, in it where it's a really cool part. He, he says that a lot of the church fathers will talk about how the church is supposed to lead us back to the Garden of Eden, like it's supposed to get us back to that purity and that state. And so he disagrees with that as being like a little bit flawed thinking, saying the church is leading us towards heaven, leading us towards the eschaton. Mm -hmm. And like what does celibacy point to is that spot that hopefully every single human being on earth is going to where God Jesus Christ is are all in all, like you are, you are one with Him and with each other. So the marriage, you know, the sacrament of marriage is beautiful, and like it helps you get there, but that's not carried over into into heaven. Right. I mind do
2: all the sacraments are gone in heaven because the exactly. sacraments yep. mediate of uh, God's love in the world in material uh, things the way they are amid a fallen Absolutely. material world. Yeah. And the sacraments aren't needed in heaven because you see God face to face and you see and experience the love in person in God. Right. The sacrament of marriage represents or that symbolizes. Yep. You don't need that sacrament anymore. But as a gift to the
0: world, the call to celibacy of some is a gift to show that that's what heaven, in a, in a sense, just like marriage, in a way, is what right. heaven's going to look like celibacy also, in a way, is what heaven's going to look like. So it's they're a gift to each other. Marriage is a gift to the celibate priest, and celibate priest is a gift to married people.
2: Yeah. Quick, quick story about the summer.
1: Unless you have something. No, no, no. Please. Uh, I would love to hear about. I want to hear about your summer.
2: On the on this vein, um, so when I was, obviously, celibacy is a big sticking issue for most guys thinking about becoming priests, and for me, um, IPF was a big help, like the, learning how to pray well and to encounter christ personally and not Mm -hmm. just as like an idea out there somebody who's kind of like asking me to do hard things so that he can so i can feel good about myself but like actually encountering him one-on-one and like realizing he was on my side and that he's about me being happy i mean you can say that as much as you want until you're blue in the face but until you actually meet the guy it's hard to know that um but the following summer after i did ipf i went to El Salvador to the to the orphanage. And there, there's 400 orphans. And I don't know if you've ever met orphans before, but it's profound, man. Like, they, they don't have hardly anything in terms of material goods. Um, they don't even have a family the way we have a family. Um, that just each other or their family, but it's all peers, know, it's all fellow children that are kind of fatherless and motherless and... Um, this orphanage down in El Salvador, the Western Pequenos Hermanos, is really built on this family model of, like, you, the kids have security, they're never going to leave here, there's not, like, adoption, so some kids, like, the best kids get picked out by rich white families and stuff, like, everybody's just there for good, and you can stay as long as you want, and they'll educate you as long as you want to stay in school, like, even to get a doctorate or something, they'll continue to pay for your education, and um, so it's a really good feel, but there's a star, there's a starvation for, like, adult attention, especially adult male attention, so going down there as a seminarian, it was just amazing. Like, the the way that they show, like, platonic affection, just like, they just love you. They just want to be loved, and and they're like golden retrievers, you know? You just can't ignore them. They're just so, um, they're just about human interaction, you know? It's not like the kids here where it's kind of like, give me a smartphone or, or I'll have a temper tantrum, you know? That's kids, American kids at their worst, but generally speaking, like, teenage kids are sort of depressive, uh, loner type, you know, you know, wouldn't want to talk to an adult, but here the kids are all just like, you know, want to know, like, what celebrities you've met in the United States, <laughs> like, just totally interested in everything about you. Um, I was overwhelmed with love, especially from the little, really little kids, because I guess for me it was easier to imagine myself in that fatherhood role with the little ones. And I think I've told this story of leading this Liturgy of the Word because it's just a seminarian at the time, and they didn't have a priest there. So I, I led a couple Liturgy of the Word type of things for the different age groups because they have a school on, on the campus of the orphanage. And so the kids would get drawn out of school normally for Mass if there's a priest, but since I was the guy, I just like preached a little homily, did the, did the readings, did our Father, and... Called it good. Anyway, I had the four and five year olds one day, like the preschool and kindergarten, and I was super intimidated because i was like, I don't know how to speak Spanish, much less like preach a Spanish homily that a four and five year old would get anything out of. <laughs> so I felt like I completely biffed it. Um, and as I'm walking out of the church kind of dejected, like I had prepared a bunch and it just didn't come out right. and um, I'm leaving the church. I process to the back. But I'm wearing an L. And they all knew me as Gonor, Gonor, But they saw me up there with four and five-year-olds. I couldn't make the shift in their brain of, like, now he's up there doing priest thing. And they all thought that I, like, suddenly had become a priest. <laughs> so they come out in, like, an orderly file, like, single file line to go back to school. But as soon as they get out of the chapel, they just start, like, swarming me. Like bees, and hugging me, and they all were like, "Padre Conor, Padre <laughs> Conor," like their way of congratulating me for being ordained a priest. Over there. <laughs> and um, it almost brought me to tears because I was like, I, I realized on an experiential level, like these kids love priests because they are the guys that that don't have anybody else outside, you know? Like, their whole life is is this place, you know? And their only children are them, you know? Um,
0: Maybe, I mean, that's that's an amazing story. And even, I have a a friend that I had with um, Focus, and she lost her dad young. And uh, kind of a priest that was a spiritual father to her was also a spiritual father to me when I was in college. And she said that she had, she was at Focus training one summer and had this, like, moment in prayer and it was, like, really profound. She was like, she she hadn't been letting God be her father. Mm-hmm. And she'd been trying to do all this stuff to, to like, prove herself and, and all of this. And, you know, from not having her dad when she was young, at no fault to, obviously, him or, or her, um, that was just, like, a huge void in her heart. And so she, said she literally just went out of the chapel and was looking for a priest. She was at St. John's in mm-hmm. Champaign and just knew she had to find a priest. And, like, ran this guy, like, she didn't know like, just runs into him, his father Luke. Mm -hmm. And he just takes her into his office and she just, I guess, she just, like, breaks down. And, uh, I guess father Luke like, started crying as well. He was like, oh, I'll be your father. And and then she talked about just, like, just little, I mean, her story was really, really cool about how he would just, like, like, text her, hey, I'm praying for you today, I'm proud of you. Like, stuff like that that she didn't get just because her dad had died young. Mm -hmm. And, like, that spot in her heart that you know, he was able to fill as a priest. It's amazing.
1: It is amazing. And it was really interesting to see, you know, being one of four Catholics there, <clears throat> how how attracted the married folks, you know, the majority of the Protestants were, to the life of celibacy. Hmm. You know, even, you know, the guy who's trying to refute it is is not trying to refute it for my good or not trying to refute it for the good of truth or anything like that, but you know, it seemed to be kind of a strive for justification inside of there's something beautiful here that he's not able to attain with, you know, what they have in their, the Protestant denomination. So it's kind of like this self rationalization of this is something that I want and I'm very attracted to. And Mm -hmm. it ended up that I was able to do a lot of ministering via just conversation, not obviously not sacramental or anything like that. Um, to the guys who had families that were back home that had huge responsibilities. It's yeah. incredible what they did. Mm-hmm. All day, they're gone. We weren't allowed to have cell phones or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, zero communication, zero dark thirty style. And, <laughs> you know, they're all worried about their children back home who are sick. Or, how am I going to pay the bills at home? How am I going to do this and that? Right. My sole focus, my sole mindset was my soldiers. Right. And it was beautiful. It was just like living into the reality of that fatherhood. Yeah. And all that I have to worry about right now is the freedom that God's given me to exercise the blessings and the gifts and the the call and the mission that he's given to me right here, right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about anything, man. No one, no one depends on me. Thanks be to God, they'd be done for. <laughs> no, one, no one needs me for food or anything like that. My only job is to do exactly what I'm doing right there and right now. That's freedom. Mm-hmm. And you try to talk about the freedom of celibacy. It's mm-hmm. un it's ungraspable for someone who is outside in a tradition that is not used to it. Yeah. But there is such infinite freedom to what you can to what you can do on a daily basis, to a monthly basis, to a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the advantage of it is it's indescribable. But then you can also see the spiritual benefits to it, where you have a heart that is able to converse with anyone on a very open, very, you know, hopefully pure and loving level that it's difficult for anyone else because they're bringing, you know, their own relationship into it or uh, something else that's, you know, bothering them in the background, which we, we may have as well. But as an individual, I was able to minister to them on a loving level, no matter who it was, male or female, um, because it's that constant gift of—and I failed on this sometimes—but it's that constant gift of your heart to Christ, to the church, who you're always giving yourself to, you know. And I would talk to them and say, "Look, when you see a beautiful girl, what do you do? You commit that in a loving way to the love of your wife." Okay, I'm going to give this up. You know, here's a temptation. I'm going to give it up for my wife now that I'll love her more for sort of persevering through this temptation. That's something that we give to Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm giving this up so that you can have that portion of my heart, not only in a lustful way, but in a romantic way as well, in a very uh, sentimental, um, relational way. Mm -hmm. That part of my heart is only for Christ. And to be able to live into that relationship is a depth on the spiritual level that can only be attained via celibacy. You know, I think that it's, it's that one-on-one relationship that you're constantly working on. Um, Well, I think that that's, that's where like the monastic tradition of
2: celibacy comes from, that intimacy with Christ and being totally um, committed, like, body, soul, heart, will, everything, to God alone and, and nothing earthly, including human beings who are both earthly and heavenly in the way that they have spiritual souls, but, but celibacy in the priesthood is a little different. Like, when we're talking about celibacy in fatherhood, like, like, the orphanage thing for me was where celibacy made sense in terms of my own vocation. Right. Because I'm not primarily a contemplative, you know? Every priest should be a contemplative in a sense like that uh, we're, the, we're the one person praying when nobody else is praying, you know? If in a town no one else is praying at the moment, at least the parish priest is in his rectory praying, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, like, the the celibacy in terms of being a father to, like, like, uh, poem where he says being a, uh, belonging to every family but being a member to none, you know, that you, you belong to everybody, like, every people in tongue, every race, every gender, you know, like, just know you belong to every single person, and but with orphans, it's it's particularly palpable. And when we went down there, back down there this summer as a priest, um, it was profound. Man, I was only there for seven days, um, but, jeez, we had me, uh, Jamie, and Scott all had been down there as seminarians, and we all went back as priests, and Father Ron went down there, and we all said a first mass for him, uh, one evening. And the kids are just, it's amazing, dude, the way they're brought up and, and stuff. It's like, nobody tells them to tell us this stuff, but they're all like, thank you so much for the Mass. It was such a beautiful Mass. It's like, hotter than Hades in this chapel. Mm-hmm. I'm sweating bullets, dude. And I, I was a pro, uh, the main celebrant. Jamie preached and did a baptism. And Scott kind of stood there and celebrated. His Spanish <laughs> isn't great. But... um I got up and just, because Jamie preached, I I got up and just said a few words. And I, I, this does not happen to me. I just started telling the kids, like, how I'm so glad to be here and I'm so proud of them and stuff. And I started crying. And it just doesn't happen to me. But something broke through there. Like, it was so, such a profound experience of what the priesthood means to me, uh, being there with those kids. And then afterwards, they have, like, they stay in the chapel that's super hot and they, like, sing songs to everyone. Like, to me, Jimmy and Scott, they sang a song, the refrain of which is, Lord, I want to be loved. And then, so that, that gets you a little teary. And then Father Ron was 20 years a priest this summer. So they had made a big deal of Art first mass and his anniversary. Mm-hmm. And they sang a song. Uh, they had made these things on the on the street in front of the chapel called alfombras. Means carpet. Have oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you ever yeah. seen this, where they yeah. like take colored sand, they draw like a chalk outline of some like crazy design, and they put colored sand, and it looks insanely nice. It's incredible. <laughs> it's it's like a
1: it's a temporary carpet. Yeah, and it's, it, it's, like it's,
2: while we were in the church, it rained, and washed it all away. Oh. But I'd seen it before, uh, before we went into church, and it was going to be like a surprise for us when we came out. <laughs> and they had made a design of like no. for the three of us. They made like three little priests. It was Pentecost with the Holy Spirit coming down on all of us, and like one of them had red hair, one of them had dark hair, and one of them had curly blonde hair. They used like wood chips that were blonde and curly for mm-hmm. Scott's hair, oh. and for Father Ron they had put twenty años, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, yo quiero ser un un sacerdote para siempre. I want to be a priest forever, mm-hmm. which was the refrain of the song they sang him. So he's up there in the sanctuary by himself, while they're they're all standing and singing him this song, as like a present to him, and we're standing off to the side. And the refrain of the song is, uh, Aquí estoy, Señor, toma mi vida, un sacerdote para siempre quiero ser. Here I am, Lord, take my life, I want to be a priest forever. And it's like these out-of-tune kid voices, like 350 voices, singing this thing about the priesthood, and to me, I was just like, I broke down. Because here I was, like, you know, 14 days a priest. And they saw the value of priesthood maybe even more than I did, you know. That what Father Ron meant to them, what we meant to them, you know. And it occurred to me later on when I was thinking about it, um, at that orphanage, all the people that work there who are adults are called Tio and Tia uncle and aunt so like the guy who drives the bus is uncle so-and-so the guy who works in the the lady who works in the office is aunt so-and-so the only person who's called father is the priest we're the only ones that get called father and i was like that's right um because i don't have a life i do have a life outside of unfortunately like i can't be there full time that's what i told the kids like Mm -hmm. when i'm here i feel like a like a priest hundred percent you know um and it's, it's the human thing of feeling needed, but it's also, spiritually speaking, like, kind of everything's in its right place, you know? Mm-hmm. I have spiritual children that don't have an earthly father, um, and so I mediate the presence of the Heavenly Father to them, you know? Um, and I'm walking among them, and I don't have equal time like that a father would have if I had four or five kids or whatever. I have 350 kids. Um But each of every single one of them, like you meet them face to face, one on one, and they have my whole heart, you know. Um, It was a beautiful thing. It was a great, great way to spend like the second week as a priest. Parish is great too, but that was just like one of these blessings where God's like, Here you go. This is what I have for you.
0: Three dogs north are juice.